0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, I'm just delighted to welcome to the Beeson Podcast today, Cliff Barrows. Cliff, delighted to have you here at Beeson with us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dean. What a joy to
1: be here and to be in a place where our hearts have been for several years, mainly because of our dear son, Tal, who's been such a vital part of the outreach and your conferences and the
0: ministry of this wonderful seminary. Thank you so much. Now, uh, I have so many questions to ask you. I know I'm not going to get to all of them, but, but let me start with this one. Uh, you've been with Billy Graham ministering for over 60 years. 65. 65 years. Yes. My goodness.
1: We met on our honeymoon with my late wife in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And it happened on the occasion of I was a substitute. We went to the little, well, the conference grounds and, Billy had been invited to speak, and the place was packed. But the song leader, the worship leader, had gotten sick and had to go home. And when we pulled up to the grounds, Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, maybe you know that I man. I him, yes. He was a dear man. He was standing there with Billy outside the conference center, and we pulled up, and our host, Mr. Brown, he introduced us, and he said, well, we've got a problem Mr. Brown, and he was a man in his eighties, and he led the music, and he said, "You're going to have to help us tonight said, "You yeah, I want you to lead the music." He said, "You don't want me, this is a youth meeting." He said, "I've got a young couple staying with me for the weekend, and he leads the music, and his wife plays the piano. They'll be happy to help, won't you <laughs> and i turned he turned to me, and I said, "Well, if we can be of help, we will." and uh Billy uh, looked at me, and I looked at him, and with a big smile, he said, "Come on, Cliff, We won't be choosy. Let's go <laughs> and so they got my trombone out of the trunk. We went into the meeting, and my wife, whose name was Billy also was um was uh pian- playing the piano. I always called her my Billy, so we wouldn't get her mixed up with. Billy Graham, and I always called Billy Graham Bill because uh, I didn't get him mixed up, but I didn't want anybody else
0: to get him mixed up either. Sure. Well, one of the things about the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is the way it has been so faithful and single-minded. I think this represents Mr. Graham, but your uh, heartbeat, too, to the work of evangelism and to doing it with integrity how was how, how that something that was with you from the very beginning, almost?
1: Well, it was in the, that period of time when the Elmer Gantry image of evangelism and evangelist was permeating the country. They had an award-winning film and book and all, and uh, and it always got to Billy. He was a call. He felt... That, His ministry as an evangelist was a calling from God. And he never did like that phrase evangelistically speaking. Hmm. And back years ago, once in a while, you'd hear that phrase said amongst good people. You know, well, there were about 8,000 there evangelistically speaking. Well, that could mean 8,000 people or 8,000 eyes looking on the Hmm. scene. And he resented that. And he said to... uh, us, Bev Shea, and myself, and Billy, and Grady Wilson, and I, in Modesto, California. We were having our devotions during the time of our crusade out in Modesto. He said, let's go back to our rooms and think about the pitfalls of evangelism. Let's write them down, and tomorrow when we meet together, let's share them and pray about them. Well, Timothy, we came back the next day. And there were four areas that all four of us, or five of us, had written down. One was integrity, mm. being men of our word, being truthful and honest, not trying to pad the figures or to extend budgets and that. The other one was accountability, mm. giving account of where we were, what we did with our time, what we did with our money. Mm. The third was the area of purity. Never be caught in a room alone with a woman or that wasn't our wife. Mm -hmm. Or if there was another woman there, to have one of the team members there. Mm -hmm. We guarded that, and Billy made a covenant never to ride in a car with a woman by himself. And there were times when he had to really make that evident even with the ambassadors wives in other countries because he knew the reporters were there and wouldn't make a issue of it and the third was a uh, fourth was humility mm. being willing to uh, humble ourselves and to um, put the others first and he was set the example we prayed about these we prayed about it in tears mm. And when we left that devotion time that morning, this is my hometown, Modesto, I said, let's call it the Modesto Manifesto. Mm. We'll remember it that way. And we have. And those have been issues and precepts that I think have been guidelines for the ministry of the Billy Graham Association through the years, and they're so important, and as important today, even with younger leadership, with Franklin and the group behind him, and I'm still alive, able to help encourage them. Bev Shea is 101, Mm -hmm. still sings. It's wonderful, you know, when uh, men get of age and especially basses, their tremolo goes from Death Valley to the Himalaya Mountains. <laughs> and there's a big gap in them, but uh, Bev's has just been so sweet. He can't stand on his feet. He has a hard time getting around, but he'll sit on a chair, and at the cove we'll have a uh, time of singing and talking And he'll burst into a song and hope people
0: people Mm. love it. And I love it most of all. And you were just recently together with him and Mr. Graham at the Cove. Tell us about that meeting. Well, the folks planning it are uh, Bill Pollard, our
1: our executive chair. And a couple of the men have planned a meeting with leaders, Christian leaders, and some uh, executives in, in business and industry about 32 of them, have a private meeting, and wanting Bill to come, and Bill said he would come, and he was, felt well enough to be able to get there, and that's the first time we'd been together for quite some time like that. Bev Shea came, and I came, and we sat, the three of us up in front, and they asked questions, and we talked amongst ourselves and reminded each other of situations. And uh, Bill poured his heart out to him, talking not strong, but we could hear him and understand. He said, my one desire is to preach the gospel one more time to the people either on television or from a crusade. I don't know how, and but I pray the Lord will give me strength. Mm. and I want to hear Bev sing again. Mm. I'd rather have Jesus. And, of course, we'll do How Great Thou Art. Mm. And uh, I would be there to to lead the singing. And I'm the youngest of the three. I'm only 87, so they (laughs) expect me to keep going. But that's where we were.
0: Now, I think you introduced, you and George Beverly Shea, How Great Thou Art, uh, in the 1957 uh, Crusade in New York. We is that did. right? That is
1: true. It, that's uh, not the first time. We sang it in Toronto in 1955, mm-hmm. but, uh, or 1956, but it was written by uh, Gustav, a man by the name of Gustav in Sweden. Then translated by Pastor Boberg in Sweden. And then it was translated into the German and translated into Russian from the German. And S.K. Hein, a missionary to uh, in Estonia, and walked those Carpathian mountains sharing the gospel with people. The scenery and all just brought to mind those Russian words, and he made the translation... And when we got it, I said to Bev, let's try this in New York. I'll have the choir sing the last line of the song as the introduction, and you sing the verses, and uh, we'll sing all sing the chorus together. He did. And in New York, Timothy, we had the meeting scheduled for six weeks. It went 16 weeks. Amazing. It couldn't be stopped in the hottest summer that they'd experienced. And Madison Square Garden didn't have air conditioning in those days. And we sang it 100 times. Amazing. Every night. And then if we went in an outdoor meeting, which we did several times, like Times Square, Yankee Stadium, why, we sang it again. But How Great Thou Art became the most beloved hymn, surpassing... Even the old rugged cross. Yes. My Jesus, I love thee. Some of those that have been familiar on the number one on the hymn list, it surpassed that, and I think it's true today.
0: Now, one of the concerns that I have is that some of the great hymns of the past seem to be not known by a new generation. And there are great new hymns. How Great Thou Art was new in the 20th century. And in Christ alone, there's some wonderful, great new hymns, but I'm afraid we're losing some of those majestic hymns of the faith that have nurtured generations of believers in Christ. What what do you think about that? Well,
1: I think that's true, but I think that uh, we're witnessing a return to many of them, and they're changing the tempos. It's interesting what some of these young musicians are doing with creative, great creative abilities, and and, uh, even melody lines, they're changing it. I can't figure out where they're going, but <laughs> that's my mindset. But I, I've been in the church on Sunday. They do a contemporary worship. And of course, not being able to read the lyrics on the big screen, I just have to kind of la, la, la long. Mm-hmm. But I, I catch what words I can, but I'm seeing a return to uh, some of the great hymns like Robert Robinson's song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune my heart to sing Thy grace, Streams of mercy never ceasing Flow from songs of loudest praise. What wonderful lyrics! And we're hearing them if we listen on our iPhones We can pull up four or five different renditions, some of them in modern contemporary style. And that's true with other songs, like There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, different ones. And I think uh, Bill Gaither with the Homecoming uh, Friends has done a great deal to revive interest in the new songs and the old
0: songs sung in a new, fresh way. Yeah, we we want music to be God focused. We we want our hearts to be lifted up into the heavenly sanctuary and be drawn into the praise of God, whether it was written in the 17th or 18th century or whether it was written last uh, 2 years. Right. Uh so it's not a new old thing. It's it's a it seems to me is is it a Is it a hymn that lifts us up into the presence of God, or is it self-focused? And that's the distinction. That's so
1: true. You know, I heard this said, and I think it's true. Sound theology produces good hymnology, which produces great doxology. Mm. They go together, and I, I have certainly found that to be true.
0: Let me ask you about some of the crusades you've been with Mr. Graham all around the world, of course, on every continent. One hundred and eighty-five of them. One hundred and eighty-five.
1: Countries, four hundred and nineteen crusades, two hundred and ten million people face-to-face, and with nearly three million making a public commitment to Jesus Christ.
0: Unprecedented in Uh, the history of the church. But
1: you know it's happening now through... Through the uh, Hope Festivals, My Hope Festivals, with putting his sermons and Franklin Graham's sermons into the language of the country Mm -hmm. and getting it on national television where we have the living room become the crusade setting and we train hostesses to invite their friends. They have the follow up material, they have the decision cards, they listen to the sermon. They hear the invitation, and then that hostess will give the invitation in their living room. And we've had millions of people, millions of people respond. We have a copy of that response in our headquarters office in Charlotte. We follow them up with a personal letter from Mr. Graham or Franklin, and they're referred into the local pastor's of their little church, their village church, other churches have started. It's amazing what this new modern technology, how it can be used to get the gospel, the good news of the gospel out.
0: I want to refer to one of the many events you've done, but one that impacted me personally because I was there. Uh, This was Amsterdam 2000. Oh, yes. You were our worship leader. Mr. Graham couldn't come to that meeting. You remember he was ill and sent a video message. But you were there and, and George Beverly Shea. Uh, As we met with evangelists from all over the world, Uh, more countries were represented than belonged to the United Nations at the time. And I'll never forget the way you opened in a great hymn. And then you asked us all to get on our knees and pray out loud in our own language. Mm. I'd never seen anything like that, never heard anything like that. And I thought this would just be cacophony. But there was a tremendous harmony that came over that assembly.
1: Why did you do that? Well, I was introduced to that in Korea. Mm. The Koreans, as you know, they are a praising church, a preaching church, a praying church, a persecuted church. Mm. But when they come to the prayer time, they would have a time when it was concert. You prayed out loud. And it so moved me in that um, Young Paul's church in uh, Korea, there on the on the perimeter of the Ouida Plaza where we had our meeting, that I was so moved, and uh, then we had our great meeting there where we had a million three hundred thousand people in attendance, and that was a lot of people, and um, that just moved my heart. I said we ought to pray in our own language. And we I remember that in Amsterdam. Mm, it was amazing. And it was just a stirring moment. And uh, people, you know, people for years later carried that little wristband. We yes. put a wristband on everybody yes. so they wouldn't get lost yeah. and they'd have entrance to the meeting. And people visiting some of these cities and countries, even a year later, found people who still had that wristband on. How about that? They were being reminded of the time God met with mm. us in Amsterdam.
0: Cliff, you've uh, referred to um, you know the, your difficulty with seeing these days. And I wonder if you've learned something uh, in terms of your spiritual life from that uh, difficulty that's come into your life.
1: I have. I've learned the value of memorizing Scripture. Mm. Thy word have I hid in my heart, the psalmist said, that I might not sin against Thee. Mm. And I was taught this as a 12-year-old. That goes back many years by Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators. And they've memorized, as you know, stressed Scripture memory. It's the word that you hide in your heart that you can meditate upon, that the Holy Spirit brings back to your remembrance. And, uh, you know, the psalmist said, I like the message translation, I set your instructions to music so that I might sing your praises throughout the, my earthly pilgrim way. And I find myself singing, mm. singing psalms, mm. even when I don't even know a melody for them. I just start singing. <laughs> and that's quite an experience. That is, an yeah. experience for those that are around that don't know <laughs> what's happening. But I like to get alone and uh, just sing. You know, you can start to sing, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. And if you're talking about trouble, you get down low and sing loud. and <laughs> It just it, it has brought me into a new time of fellowship with the Lord mm. in a dimension that um, I never experienced. The greatest trial is, uh, is not being able to see. I love what the, the poet has said. Oh, the hymn writer said, uh, There are days so dark that I seek in vain for the face of my friend divine. But though darkness hide, he is still there to guide by the touch of his hand on mine. Then the chorus goes, Oh, the touch of his hand on mine. The touch of his hand on mine. There is grace and power in each trying hour by the touch of his hand on mine. And I immediately think of my precious wife, Anne, who goes before me, and I put my hand on her shoulder Hmm. because in a cane in my other hand, if we're in a dark place, you can't see. I can see periphery, but I can't see straight ahead, and I can't see when it's dark. But I feel her touch, and I'm reminded of the Father's touch the Heavenly Father's touch of the Holy Spirit.
0: And I praise Him for His presence with me. Amen. One more question. Uh, There are so many problems and troubles in the world today and in the church today. Uh, Scandals, uh, just incredible onslaught, it seems, of the evil one. Uh, When you think about the future, Cliff, are you filled with hope or despair? And why? Why?
1: I'm filled with hope. And as Billy Graham would answer, I've read the last chapter of the book. (laughs) Our hope is that He is coming again. And what we see are evidences of the time is drawing near. Mm. My hope is in the Lord. And I do feel that there is a moving of the Spirit of God. We are told that in that last days there will be people coming to faith in Christ. The gospel being preached around the world like it's never been preached before through television, through the internet. People can get the gospel in every corner of the world. And there's hope in that because the Spirit of God has not left us without hope. And I'm trusting Him to lead us and to direct us. So it puts an added dimension to the urgency of our living we ought to not be seeing how we can retire. I Billy was often asked, when are you going to retire? He said, well, I don't read the retirement in the Bible. <laughs> I found it the other day in Numbers 18 where Moses retired the priests from active duty at the age of 50. Then he allowed them to serve five more years as assistants and then... They'd be retired from active duty. And I said, well, Billy, they people are taking sabbaticals. He said, what is a sabbatical? (laughs) You and I have never had one. (laughs) Well, as we know, that's a time when we are retired from that present earnest ministry that we're occupying full time and we're able to concentrate on some other areas. But I'm looking forward to the future as long as God gives me grace and strength And my precious wife, who can keep going and get me there, I want to be there when the roll is called up yonder. Homer Rodeheber, teaching a a class on how to lead singing, he made sure that when you said, when the roll is called up yonder, you didn't want to end your hand down. He (laughs) said, I want to end it up in the air. I want to be there.
0: And uh, that was great. Marvelous! That was great. Well, Cliff, on behalf of all the people who've listened to this podcast and your friends around the country and indeed the world, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to Jesus Christ and for His gospel and for your warm, winsome heart that reaches out to everybody with love and compassion and encouragement. It's been a blessing to have you with us, and thank you for this conversation. Can I
1: leave one verse with you? Please. Be strong and courageous. Do the work. Don't be fearful or discouraged by the size of the task. For Yahweh God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you, for he it is that will see to it that all the work is finished correctly. David's dying words to his son Solomon, and their good words for us today, dear Timothy.
0: My guest on today's Beeson podcast has been Cliff Barrows. You've been listening to the Beeson podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson podcast at our website, Beesondivinity.com. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and support. Beeson Divinity School is an evangelical, interdenominational divinity school training men and women for service in the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.